We are very excited about today's show. And before we begin, we got Jesse Ledoux with our product feature of the week. Jesse, tell us what you got for us. Hey, Stephen. This week, one of my favorite pageant shoes is on sale. So this is the Suntan by Jonathan Kane, and it is a five-inch heel, but it has a one-and-three-quarter-inch platform. So what that really means is that you're essentially wearing like a three-inch heel. I can't remember as a teen or a miss the last time I wore a three-inch heel. It's always been higher, but because of the way the shoe is made, you're able to get that sky-high look without the being uncomfortable or the strain on the arch of your foot. Yeah, for some of the girls that might not be familiar with this particular shoe, um, I feel like maybe Chinese laundry is kind of more the international shoe. Mm-hmm. Um can you say how this one compares to Chinese laundry? Yeah, I will I will say what's great about this shoe in comparison. One, it has one solid strap that crosses the front. Um, other similar shoes have several um, straps. And what that can do is, one, it can cause your foot to push forward more than normal. And two, sometimes even your pinky toe can stick out the side, which is super weird. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so the one strap really helps keep your foot in place. And the second thing I love about this shoe is the ankle strap is clear. And the reason that is amazing is one, that means it works with every single complexion on the front. It doesn't interrupt any line of sight, no matter what. And two, it just makes your legs look so stinking long. And three, it holds it so securely because it has a little bit more of a pliable, clear material than like a, a typical leather strap would. Um, and that's why I like it. So it has the one strap in the front and it has the clear on the ankle. So you look super, super tall and you feel secure. Yeah. So, I mean, Renata really likes this shoe. She says it's way more comfortable than the Chinese laundry than the tippy tops. Mm-hmm. She was like, okay, I'm not going to wear them anymore. I'm not going to wear like Chinese, the tippy tops anymore. So um, yeah, it, it's it's a great shoe, but what's the deal on it? So it's currently $113.95 on our site, which is shop.pageantplanet.com. But this week we're offering 20% off, which is an amazing price because this shoe can be worn for evening gown, fun fashion, talent, like any phase of competition. This is going to be your go-to versatile shoe. Yeah, that's awesome. And okay, where can they find it? Shipping, all that stuff. So free shipping, which is a big deal because these shoes are heavy, girlfriend. They are a lot. So it's free shipping. Um, and you can find it at shop.pageantplanet.com. And the coupon code is SUNTAN. Awesome. Thanks, Jesse. Welcome to Pageant Planet's podcast, where we share stories and strategies to help expand and connect the global pageant community. Visit pageantplanet.com to find pageants, hire coaches, shop for dresses, and more. Now, here's your host, Stephen Roddy. Welcome to another episode. Today, Jesse and myself, we are going to be discussing how to win interview in an international pageant. So Jesse, go ahead and set the stage for us. So, Stephen, I think it's crystal clear that interviews are a challenge in any pageant you enter. It's the one major variable of competition. However, if you're taking the chance to compete in an international pageant or any stage where you may be up against contestants who speak other languages or in a place that doesn't speak yours, uh, it can create even more concerns. And I would say additionally, even if you're already a national title holder, when you think about expanding your title holder plan, 
there are a host of hurdles you'd better be prepared to address for international competition. Yeah, because it, it expands it. It's no longer just you have to worry about do my judges like my green dress versus like or green color versus white or versus red. It's like, oh, are the judges going to think that I'm less intelligent because I'm not speaking their negative language? And if I speak their negative language, is it going to like come across correctly and like all those norms? So I could totally imagine what the contestants are going through. And so today I wanted to discuss what are three questions to consider going into your interview for an international pageant. And again, like you just said, there there's so much more to it than just identifying like, okay, what color should I wear? But that should also be part of your uh, discussions as you look to pick your interview outfits. You should be looking at all of your past competition or all the past competitions for that pageant kind of see what works well. But then when you get into the interview room, it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. Okay. So what's the first kind of question to consider? The first question to consider, and this is especially for pageants that you're you're going into another country to compete um, from your own, and that's should I use a translator? Um, if you're if the pageant itself is not being held in your native language, um, this is something you want to consider. You can either um, we see in Miss Universe that a lot of the contestants will do the first question, like the getting to know you question, in their native language, but for the final question, they don't want to leave it up to chance. Yeah, I could see that in. I mean, for you, why is that such a dilemma, especially on the, the national stage? Well, first, I want to say it's it's especially important because, like, you need the judges to feel confident and understand your message clearly. And it's a dilemma because you and I have had this conversation more than once. We've heard that a translator actually butchered a truly great answer in their translation in the moment. Like Renata Stevens' wife speaks multiple languages. So when she's watching a pageant and she hears a translator translate an answer that the contestant just gave, she's like, well, the way the contestant said it was way better than what the translator said. So it can be kind of a struggle. Do I put my answer up to chance with the translator or do I try to get through it in a language that's not my native? And there's also the thing of, okay, let's just take, since Miss Universe just happened, let's use them. Mm -hmm. Uh, The contestant is going to go live in New York and go to primarily like English speaking events. And if you're not able to really speak the native language, does that hinder the type of appearances that the Miss Universe organization can put that contestant on? Mm. And And does that like, does that affect like what they tell the judges behind closed doors. Like, hey, I mean, this girl might be amazing and look like Miss Universe, but we're not really going to be able to market her or help the organization push forward if we get somebody that doesn't speak the native language. I'm not saying that they say that because I've never been behind closed doors with them, but it is something to consider. You know, and that must be my privilege because I have never even considered that for a second, but it is probably a conversation that these other countries are considering when they're going to international competition. You just blew my mind with that. (laughs) Well, and then it would translate, I'm sure, like if the the pageant is an international pageant, but it's being hosted in the Vietnam or whatever, you know, Um, to my knowledge, Miss Universe is the only organization where it says nope you come live with us Um, and I'm sure I mean Miss Universe probably has ways around that because we've seen um, oh like when Miss Venezuela won her English got progressively better 
throughout the year. So I don't know if she was maybe working with a, um, a tutor, you know, for lack of better words or something like that, um, to help her English, but it did seem to get better over time. Yeah. And I'll say too, if you win this universe and you're a country like the Philippines that just won, they will have so many requests for her to be in her home country just because they are a pageant country. So depending upon who wins and who how she's requested, she may end up not doing as many U.S.-based appearances as a result of that. So I it probably is something that comes to mind for the judges. I'm not sure if it's mentioned behind closed doors, but I hope it doesn't come into play. Yeah, I mean, none of the judges are like a hundred percent speak another language. They're all English speaking judges, Hmm. you know? So it's like, they don't have a translator in their ear. So it's just a perspective, but what's your, what's your verdict on all this? Like, do you feel like they should use a translator or not? Well, it's worth saying that the translator also is probably going to be nervous. They're also speaking in front of a million people. They're also standing on stage in front of, I shouldn't say million, millions of people, Mm -hmm. depending upon the different stage. And you may have time constraints. You may have to answer in 30 seconds. So now you and your translator are talking over each other to make sure that you just finish the answer before you get to the buzzer. And that is a whole new stressor unrelated to the content of answering the question. I mean, imagine for our contestants that are not international um, contestants that are listening, like, you know how stressful an interview can be. Imagine thinking about, okay, I not only have to watch the time, I have to wait for that person to finish speaking before I finish speaking and she's going to interrupt me so she can start speaking. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's so stressful. Yeah. Especially if you've never met the translator before. mm -hmm. And if that's your first rodeo or you've just had like a little mock session and if, the translator is provided by the organization and then maybe he or she is from a different region um, than you. So they have a different accent. Maybe they have different slangs. So yeah. What do you do around all that? So my verdict is like, if you're on the fence, I would first and foremost ask the pageant if they will provide you a translator or if you would be able to bring your own. I think you have to know what the situation is first and foremost. If you have, if you have the ability and means, so if they say we have one that will provide, but you could bring your own or we will not provide one, but you could bring your own. That's really probably your best case scenario. So bring your own if you can, because you can practice with them often. They understand and are used to the conditions. So like you can time it, be under that 30 second constraint. You're used to like, okay, I know I have to stop at this point so she can pick up. This is how much time she can remember what I'm saying. And you'll just be more comfortable in that space. So if you can bring your own translator, fantastic. Uh, They're going to provide you with one. You just have to work with it and ask maybe if you can have some additional time to get to know that person. Yeah, that's great. Um, Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like if they are going to provide one, it's like, awesome. Can I speak with him or her like, I don't know, once a week for four weeks leading up to the pageant or something like that. So they get a feel for your personality and, you know, basically you want to talk to them until you're comfortable with them. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, cause it's just a shame if you're putting all this work and finances and energy into something and then you put it on the hands of the translator and then they botch up something that casts you and maybe not as good as light as what you've prepared for. Exactly. Cool. So I, I want to take a minute to share an interview tip from one of our Instagram followers. And this tip is like 
like one of my favorite realizations for contestants like in any pageant. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it, this comes from Taylor Blackwell. I don't know if it's blackwell E or just, but anyways, it's Taylor Blackwell and then there's an E after it. But she says, as a perfectionist, I always believe that there was a right way to answer a question. In my mind, there could only ever be one right answer. This meant that instead of searching myself for the answer that most represents my own thoughts and opinions, I was searching for an answer that was right in the judge's eyes. This in turn negatively affected my interview and overall score when I competed. Love that. It is the truest thing, Stephen. I have contestants that we work with or we've worked with in the past, and I'll ask a question, and they just don't speak. And I'm yeah. like, what's holding you back from opening your mouth right now? Like, what's in your head? She goes, I don't know what the right answer is. I'm like, well, there is no right answer, of course. So we talk through, like, okay, what's your, like, give me one sentence of what your quick answer is. And then we go through the next step. Okay, explain why you said that. Okay, and then what's one thing that ties this answer to you specifically? And like, okay, well, that wasn't that hard. I'm like, exactly, because you're just talking about yourself. So the minute you stop overanalyzing what they want to hear, you are in much better shape. One of the things I like to do is when I'm talking with a girl that's freaking out about interview, um, and a lot of times the freak out happens like months before the pageant or like a month mm-hmm. before the pageant. Yeah. And it's like, awesome. And, you know, after they've shared their concerns, I'm like, awesome. What is your judge's favorite color? Like, I, I, I don't know. Right? I'm like, okay, cool. Like, what does your judge like to do as a hobby? I, I, I don't know. I'm like, who are your judges? Like, I don't know. They haven't announced it yet. Awesome. So you're using this, like, I want to make sure what's like the ju- that I impress the judges or that I'm saying what the judges want. You don't know who your judges are, one. <laughs> and two, mm-hmm. even if you did know them, you don't know all their intimate secrets and all that stuff. I mean, if they were your best friend and there was a whole panel of best friends that was judging you, okay, you, you might angle it a little better, right, to tailor to their needs because you know what their little idiosyncrasies are. Mm-hmm. Outside of that... You have no idea who's judging you. You have no idea how they like their coffee in the morning. You don't like what their bedtime routine is. You don't know what their bedtime routine is. You don't know really anything about them outside of they are there to look for a candidate for a job. And all you have to do is basically be yourself, answer in in an authentic way, and back up your answer with kind of some logic that makes sense and that is not offensive. And you're like, Golden. Golden. Totally. Yeah. It just you just reminded me of a really cute moment in a movie. Uh, have you ever seen Runaway Bride with Julie Roberts and Richard Gere? Gosh, no. It's from like I, the late nineties. I, I remember it. I, I can see yeah. the title, or if I've seen it, I forgot it. But yeah, get, go ahead. So this guy, Richard Gere, is a journalist. He goes to her hometown to understand why she runs from her weddings. Like she has a history of it. She's engaged again. So it's newsworthy just to give a quick summary. And then he asks every single one of her former fiancés how she likes her eggs. And every single one answered, well, she likes them just like I like them. And they all gave a different answer. So she was molding herself to fit their wants. And pageant, until she like finally was like, okay. She, and then at the end of the movie, she tries all different types of eggs and decides how she likes them the best finally. <laughs> but I think pageantry is such a personal development experience that you are so robbing yourself of the opportunity to get to know yourself better if you're constantly trying to please 
what you think someone else knows. And then when all is said and done, there are several major titles in the world. What if you never achieve that? At least you're now the best version of you. But if you are constantly in a state of evaluating someone else's wants and needs, you'll never get there. Yeah, it's kind of like if you have to change yourself to attract a certain friend group so that they like you, they're not your friends. Mm-hmm. And if you have to change yourself, you know, I mean, there's extremes to everything. I mean, but if you have to change yourself to win a pageant, okay, that, that pageant isn't, that title isn't for you. There's literally so many pageants out there. You can find one that will accept you for who you are, how you look, your likes, and all that stuff, and you can win, and you can conquer it. Mm-hmm. So, cool. All right. Well, anything else you want to say regarding using a translator? No, I think we covered it. Cool. All right. What's, your, what's the next question that someone should ask themselves? The next question we're going to cover is, should I change my title holder plan? And this is important because if you're currently representing a state, territory, region, or an entire country, you probably already have a robust plan in place that directly impacts that area. Because, you know, with international pageants, you can hop right there from a state sometimes. You can identify entire region at large. So whatever it is your jurisdiction is, you probably have like that totally nailed down if you are completely immersed in your in your title. But if you're competing in an international pageant, you need to consider literally the entire world in your planning. Yeah. So, okay, for somebody that's new and maybe they're not familiar, this is the first um, episode that they're listening to, what is a title holder plan? A title holder plan is basically just how you've laid out the next 12 months of your year. And I like to start people on this thought process by asking the question, what will your legacy be? And they're like, well, I really, I really don't know. I say, okay, well, what do you want to accomplish in your 12 months as a title holder? And then they start to get it like, okay, I'd like to be, I'd like to speak at every school in my county. Okay, great. Or I'd like to raise $50,000. Okay, great. Now we're getting somewhere. And then you work backwards. Last week in our episode about goal setting, we talked a lot about how to do that. Um, It's very similar in the process of setting a title holder plan and working backwards to the daily activities of how many organizations do I have to call, how many schools, et cetera. So it's how you plan to execute 12 months of a reign. Perfect. And this is like, I mean, creating a title holder plan is excellent because it's going to tee you up even further down in life when you have to do things like if you're an entrepreneur to create a business plan or mm-hmm. to create a plan for your marriage, you know, like, okay, this is the, what I want the context or the outcome of our marriage to be. So that's what you and I, Jesse, are like, so how we love pageantry so much because there's so many like life skills that are so applicable to all of your training. Yes. And I will also say, with that, a lot of contestants go into the pageant ready to talk about what they've already done. And my favorite question is, well, it sounds like you're doing so much. Why do you need this title to do more? And they're like, oh, um, I, I don't know, but this is what I've done. And they're, like, <laughs> but they're not ready. They haven't taught. They haven't thought about turning the corner from the preparation to the execution of being that title holder. So it's important that you don't leave that part out of your prep. Yeah, that's so good. And, you know, that answer is going to differ between everyone. Mm -hmm. Just take time with yourself to be by yourself, you know, going back up to what Taylor was saying, there's no 100% right answer, you know, as long as you can Mm -hmm. justify it and back it up. Okay. Yeah. And and the title holder plan is really like when you thought about it globally, 
that's just telling the judges that you've put plenty of thought into the major responsibility of representing that title and having an impact. It's just like, okay, she's thought about this and a bigger scale than 80% of the rest of the contestants already. They're going to take you more seriously. Yeah. So good. Okay. What's the dilemma here? I mean, going back to the original question, like, should I change my title holder plan? Because now I'm talking about the world, the globe. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the dilemma with this? Well, the dilemma is if you live in a leading nation that has all advantages, tech, leading technology, et cetera, it's very, fairly easy to plan for. You can pretty much predict the different demographics and lifestyles you need to cater to. Like you'll know they'll be um, low socioeconomic groups, you know, there'll be urban groups, you know, there'll be rural groups, etc. So you can pretty much like map out what that looks like. However, it's easy to forget, especially if you do live in one of those leading nations, that the t- much of the world does not live the same way with the same conveniences. So the majority of your, pl- if you're the majority of your plan is to connect with people or share messages through social media, you're already essentially isolating entire groups of people who doesn't have access. So like no one expects you to travel from village to village in lesser developed countries, but you should think about how you could get a simpler plan together to cater to that demo if you needed to. Yeah. Do you have a story of maybe a girl having a title holder plan and saying that she wanted to do something, but was just not really in touch with reality about what's going on? Yeah, this girl was a definite contender for a major title. And her onstage question was, how would you bring your platform or how would you, well, it was fitness was her platform. How would you bring fitness to third world countries? So third world countries, we know they don't have a lot of technology. They don't have a lot of resources. They don't have great infrastructure. They're still developing. And she said she would send them videos to do. <laughs> and most, okay. most third world countries don't have access to play videos. So right then and there, Every judge is like, okay, she hasn't thought about this. She has a one-track plan, and that's where it starts and ends. Right. Um, and it did her a real disservice. Yeah. And, I mean, there's other factors. It's like, gosh, you know, a lot of, I mean, I don't want to say a lot of, but there are third-world countries that don't even have clean water. Mm-hmm. That could be a place to start. But, okay, do you have an example of, you know, before I go in my rant, do you have an example of maybe how she could have answered that other than just saying, I'm going to drop everyone a video because – you know, the third world countries I've been to on mission trips or just like, you know, this will sound very American, but um, on vacation where you're driving past like really like rough patches of town to get to this like little like oasis where you're in this resort, um, you know, they had lean tos, it's like sheds, it's like dirt all mm-hmm. out in front. And I mean, it really is wild to see. So yeah, they're probably not, um, you know, having the, the, DVDs and the, the flat screen televisions. So right. Or she, even a VCR. Right. Yeah. So, so how my, could my she have answered there, it? Yeah. So my thought there is if you can impact 15 million people on social media, let's say, it's probably way bigger than that, right? Because we know that Selena Gomez has like 100 million or 300 million followers, something ridiculous. But anyway, if you can impact the greatest number of people online, that's where you should be focusing most of your energy. But you don't want to completely ignore those other demographics. So when you get a question like that, so if the question is exactly that, how do you plan to bring XYZ to third world countries? You can say that your plan includes videos for the majority of the world and talk about what you already plan to do on the biggest scale. 
then you can finish with the pared down option you develop for countries without those resources. So you can say, I'm going to fluff it big time, but you can say, my plan is heavily focused on social media because I can drive 400 million people to be healthier. However, when we look at countries that don't have access to social media, I plan to X, Y, Z. So that way she still gets her strong content and delivery of her like major plan, but she doesn't alienate everyone and she still answers the question. Yeah. And in that moment too, being authentic and kind of like, well, I don't really have the outreach to go to a third world country. So what I would do is leverage my social media following um, and raise finances to give to an organization that's already supporting that. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure somebody in fitness would know what one of those um, organizations are. Um, Encourage like my followers to give to this organization or like, you know, partner with this organization and go with them onto trips and be there in person to see them. Exactly. So let's tie right into the verdict on this then, because you already touched on several points, which were perfect. So I would say you need to find a global organization, like Steven said, that has a message similar to your platform. They likely already have outreach plans or channels that work in all corners of the globe. And what you can do is you start gaining their trust on like the most basic level. So volunteer with them, do appearances with them at their local chapter, ask questions about how they distribute their message, what efforts they're currently taking globally, and like that's a huge help because now you've developed that relationship. You can ask them questions. You can learn about it. And then like we just talked about, you can't realistically visit over a hundred countries during your year as a title holder. But if you're able to work in tandem with someone else who already does this, they may be willing to help distribute your collateral. They might be able to message or provide means for you to have a presence digitally through their accounts. And then that trickles down into the, the smaller communities. So you can't do it all as one person. I, I know we love to think that we could, but the partnerships are really what's going to make the biggest impact. Yeah. And I mean, I'd like to express this before moving on like from the title holder plan, because it really is important, not only in mm-hmm. teeing you up to success for your interview, um, but also like when you win, you can hit the ground running. And you know, for the title holder plan too, if you're talking about a global title, <clears throat> not even Miss World is in every country, Mm -hmm. you know, so having that awareness to be like, wow, I mean, you have over a hundred countries that participate, but there are, gosh, however many countries there are, I'm I'm not sure. We'll say 300, you know, please don't quote me on that. I don't know. Um, But we'll say 300. It's like, wow. And here are some really good representatives that should be competing at Miss World. You know, to have a title holder plan to expand the Miss World organization would set you apart from other mm-hmm. from other title holders or other contestants that are there competing. Um, getting into the mind of um, the actual national director. So let's say, um, again, don't have these stats right off the top of my head, but let's say that Miss Universe had, um, you know, 100 countries three years ago and then now they have 93 it's like, wow, okay, I want to go back and get these seven countries back involved. That's going to be my number one goal. You know, so then the director's like, wow, they're thinking about how to help us push this brand. Mm-hmm. Or like, I want to get more um, international sponsors. All of your sponsors are from America. I know of several companies in the Philippines that would love to be national sponsors to get some of their products on, you know, as something that 
Ms. Gray could have said in her interview. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that, that brings that global awareness, or this is what I know about my culture that I would love to see integrated or sponsors or, or big organizations that would love to be involved. Oh, Steven, that was so good. Thank you. So anyway, <laughs> but it's, it's just that it's having that global, um, global awareness, which is what we touched on the first and the second, which the point I was trying to drive home was having the global awareness as it relates to the organization that you are attempting to mm-hmm. represent. Perfect. Cool. All right. Do you want to go on to um, the last question that you should yeah, ask but, yourself? Yep. The last question is how should I think about platforms differently? And this is important because not all platforms work for all groups. So for an example, If you're encouraging young people to vote, you will need to do extensive research on how many countries actually have a popular vote because there are many. And this there are like this wouldn't be relevant if you went to any of those countries and tried to talk about that platform and it would alienate them. You wouldn't be able to book appearances if that's your only goal is to increase voter turnout. Like if you called one of those countries and you wanted to be there, like, okay, what you want to talk about? And like, uh, no, not interested. So you're totally cutting off an entire section of audience. Yeah, that's good. Now, uh, again, for the, for the people that might not even be aware of what a platform is, um, maybe their country doesn't have it or they're just so new. What is like a pageant platform? A pageant platform is simply a cause that you choose to champion as a title holder. So it works well because if if you go into a pageant and they say, okay, why do you want to be um, Miss whatever? And you say, well, I really want to be a model and it's going to really open a lot of doors for me. Do you think that's going to give you a competitive edge over anyone? (laughs) No, it's not. I mean, it's probably truthful and that's fine. But then if you have somebody that comes in right after you and says, and they ask you, why don't you Miss XYZ? And you say, I want to be Miss XYZ because I grew up in this community and I've noticed that there's an issue with um, confidence and body positivity in women. And I plan to talk to girls about why this pageant is important to me and how it helped me get through that. Yeah, one is totally different. Yeah, I mean, if you flip it and like remove the the pageantry aspect of it and you say, okay, I'm running for president Mm -hmm. and my reasoning for this is I want to be rich and famous versus I'm running for president because I'm seeing some really big problems in our country that, that have not been fixed and I'm the person for the job to fix them. Right. And it doesn't have to be like so pageants like Miss America and Miss World they require you to have a platform. So it's more formalized, but not every pageant requires that. So we call it a platform for continuity's sake, but realistically, it's just something that you care about and that you want to kind of champion as your year. It's how you set yourself apart from someone else. We all have different passions. Uh, We all have different causes that we feel connected to. So it's a, a real way for you to take your year and instead of just like waving and taking amazing pictures, which you will totally do, um, it's something that makes it more real and connects you with the public. That's great. Okay. So what's the dilemma with like the whole, the initial question, which is how should I think about platforms differently? Well, the dilemma is you don't want to be stuck watering down your passion. So like if you're pep, if you are doing photo rights, you don't want to like have to totally change it for someone else. I get that. Um, if you're fighting a fight at home where it's the most relevant, 
you don't want to give up the momentum to all you've likely already achieved with it. So the struggle comes in, how do you deviate from it to make it more palatable for those that it doesn't translate directly for? Do you start a whole new platform so it becomes globally acceptable? I mean, that can be a tough decision for those that are already fully entrenched in their battle. Yeah, I could totally see that. All right, so what what's your verdict on all this? So my verdict is, if you know your platform potentially won't relate to some groups, here's what you can do without sacrificing the overall message. Think of a more generic title for your platform. So if it's currently in increasing voter turnout, you can do increasing civil engagement. Okay, mm -hmm. so now it's not attached to voting. It's still, okay, how can I be a better citizen? Or maybe becoming better citizens is your title, whatever that would yeah, be. Yeah, because your context is like getting people involved in their community. Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah. Yep. And then, so once you've created this new title, I want you to determine three action and distinct goals that you have for it. So one can remain that hyper targeted item. Um, and we can continue using voter continuity, voter voting for continuity sake. But okay, so you could say, I want to encourage a million young people in my country to register to vote. That's a great goal. Yep. And that's completely aligned with what you set out to do in the first place. The next could be more of a broad goal that anyone could be engaged with. So maybe it's you want to encourage 100,000 people to sign up for a volunteer database. So they're still giving back to their country. They're still being engaged and they're still being more aware of the world around them. That's great. But anybody can do that. Literally anyone in any country could do that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the Third, I would say, like, is your wild card goal. It can be something fun. Maybe it is to fundraise so that you can give to a lesser developed country equivalent. Um, maybe you want to just um, go speak to school, speak to kids about something else. But it should all be within that generic title that you've given your platform. It should all still make sense and it should still feel like the same battle that you set out to fight in the first place. Yeah, or something, I mean, again, sticking with the voting like you're a title holder and people want to talk to you. Like when you have this crown and you have this title, it opens up doors so you can get mm -hmm. crazy with it. Like I want to um, meet the person who in created the, the ballot box or like who, who like currently is over charge of like the marketing of the ballot box or yeah, um, if for voting or I want to meet um, the, the people over a certain amount of nonprofit organizations, or I want to mm -hmm. meet my, uh, my country president or my, uh, the governor of the state that I'm from, you know, whatever yeah. it is, like if you have that desire and you hyper-focus on it, you could totally, you could totally make it happen. Mm -hmm. And with that, when you're setting these three goals, think about how it will propel your pageant title or your pageant system. So it's not just, you want to meet them, but okay, you're going to meet them, but you're going to record a podcast with them. Or you're going to meet them and you're going to do a live broadcast from your pageants page with them. So it should always be how are you furthering that within your community? Like, okay, it's great for you to meet them, but how can you make that impact even bigger across your global audience? Yeah, that's excellent. Okay, do you have like, um, I don't know, uh, a tip around this? Oh, sure. Yeah, this is actually a perfect segue. Um, this is another Instagram submission, and this came from Just Me Moncalina. Is, is that how you're seeing it too? Just yeah. Me Moncalina. Adorable. Mm -hmm. um, so she says, definitely get drilled on questions constantly. Cut out some 
200 or so questions and have a family member pick one and ask you. It's good to get another perspective on how you answer questions and for some might have a relative with a job or degree in public speaking. My mom personally has a degree in communications and has a lot to teach me about interviews. Oh, that's so this convenient. Is super convenient. I mean, you're not always that lucky, but good for you. <laughs> but I mean, doing questions in general is a great way to realize where your blind spots are. So if you print out those 200 questions and some of them are about less developed countries or they're about parts of the world you're not familiar with or cultures you're not familiar with, oh my gosh, that is going to open your eyes to, well, maybe I'm not ready to be a global title holder, but here's what I can do to be ready. So I love that tip. Yeah. And, you know, shameless plug here. When you create a free contestant profile on Pageant Planet, you we have 233 free practice interview questions that we give to you. So mm-hmm. all you have to do is do that and then click a button and we send you an email with the, with the questions. So super easy. Mm-hmm. All right. We talked about a lot today, but do you have a kind of a summary wrap up for us? So I had two major takeaways from today's discussion. The first is you need to be comfortable at an international pageant. Ask all the questions necessary to understand what your contestants' rights are. So we talked about that translator. Um, and make smart decisions to give yourself an unofficial advantage. So it's something could either set you back or set you ahead um, with your decision making. And it shouldn't be like, well, she had she had this going for her. It should just be something that sets you up for success that you're confident with. And even if you can't bring your own translator practice with one as though you are on stage. So if you don't have access to the translator that they're providing, have a friend come act with you. That way you're more familiar with the give and take that you will expect. So prepare for everything. Mm-hmm. And then second, just be more objective in your preparation, more so than you would on a local level. So if you have a cult- if you have culturally aware friends, a great final tip is to ask each of them to represent a different continent or country during mock interviews so they can ask targeted follow-ups that the people of that country or area may think of specifically. Mm, That's so good. And for you listening, if you've received any benefit from today's show, we would love to ask you to leave a five-star review. It may seem like a small action, but it really does help us keep the show going. Want to become a part of pageant history? Create a free contestant or business profile on pageantplanet.com to unlock hidden features and connect with other experts throughout the world.